Uh, today's reading will be from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, uh, verses 1 through 7. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Daniel, for uh, reading God's word to us. Uh, so I wonder, what, what's in the name? We just heard that the third commandment that we read in verse 7 is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We see right away that the name of God, names are more than just labels. Names are full of meaning and significance. We see in the Bible, one's name is typically given to that person by someone else, and it contains the very essence of that person or that being, their character. But uniquely, we see that God is not given a name. He names himself. And God's name is how God identifies himself, revealing to us his character, who he is. So then, what is God's name? Whenever we see in our English translation of the Bible, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, this term is specifically referring to God's self-identified name which the transliterated version in English is four letters, Y-H-W-H. You might have heard this before, and we sometimes pronounce it like Yahweh. And so whenever you see in the English Bible, L-O-R-D in all capitals, it really translates to Yahweh. That's what the Lord God says. And sometimes you've kind of heard like the Greek-English version, Jehovah. You might have heard that as well. So that really refers to Yahweh, what God says his name is. And we hear this for the very first time in the same book, Exodus chapter 3, in the earlier part of this book where we get the Ten Commandments. And this is God now calling his servant Moses to go to Egypt and speak to Pharaoh to set the people free from slavery. And look at what the interaction in Exodus chapter 3, and this is how God names himself. In Exodus chapter 3, it says this, Then Moses said to God, Well, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And God said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. What a curious name that is. That I am. 
And what an interesting question that Moses anticipates. See, the people of God, remember, they had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. They didn't have a very formalized kind of religious system at this point. And so all they really knew living in Egypt was the names of all these other Egyptian gods around them. So as far as they knew, the normal thing was that these gods had names. And so if Moses were to go back to the slaves in Egypt and say, listen, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to set you free. Well, what's his name? And by his response, we see that I am, I am to be, right? It's just, it's just, that's the verb. That God simply is, he was, he ever will be. That God is the eternal God above and beyond all other so-called gods and creation. When he says, I am, is his holy name. It is who God is. That he simply is. And he will show forth that in a very real way to the people in Egypt and also the, the Israel nation as he sets them free. So all these other so-called gods in Egypt are not really anything at all. And he shows that by defeating the, god, the Egyptian god of the river by turning the river into blood. The Egyptian god of the sun, he says, I'm going to make it dark and so forth and so on. And he defeats these gods one by one through these plagues. And he says, I am the one and only God. And so God says simply, my name is I am. I am. There's a little more to that story. We're staying in the same book, in Exodus. We're going to go forward a little bit now. So after they... After Moses receives the Ten Commandments on the Mount Sinai, God reveals more about who he is in his name. In Exodus chapter 34, this is what happens. The Lord, so the capital L-O-R-D, the Lord, Yahweh, said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone, just like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Uh-oh. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. He rose early in the morning, and he went up on Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. If you've been with us, we heard last week, as, we're, as Pastor Rob taught on the second commandment, that you shall have no idols or graven images, that the nation of Israel... They're waiting at the base of a mountain called Mount Sinai, and Moses goes up the mountain to receive these Ten Commandments. And literally what happens is he has two tablets of stone, and God inscribes on the stone, written in stone, these Ten Commandments. But as Moses is before God, and God is giving these commandments to Moses, at the very same time, while the people are waiting at the base of the mountain, they get tired they go weary, they go back to what they were used to in Egypt, and they're saying, you know what? Why don't we just create an image of a god? And then they create this golden calf, and they call that God. 
So they're breaking the second commandment as Moses is getting the second commandment from God. And so Moses, he hears about this. God says, you better go back down the mountain. Moses comes down, and in his righteous anger, he sees the people of God breaking his commands. And he very literally, symbolically, he throws down and he breaks these stone tablets. As they're saying, you just broke these commands. And so that's what God is referring to. He's saying, okay, now that this incident was resolved. Sorry, we're not going to get into details, but it was resolved. After that incident was resolved, God calls back Moses back up the mountain and says, I'm going to give you these commandments again. And so Moses goes back up the mountain to meet God again for a second set of tablets. And listen to what happens next. In verse 5 in the same chapter, it says this, The Lord God, the great I Am, Yahweh, descended in the cloud and stood with Moses there, and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Who proclaimed? God proclaims his own name. So Yahweh proclaims the name of Yahweh. And in proclaiming his own name, and this is important because God is, in proclaiming his name, he's not just saying, this is what you should call me, but this is who I am. I'm about to reveal to you, by proclaiming my name, who I am. This is how you should see me. This is who I am. This is my character. This is essentially my being. This is what I stand for. And as he names himself, see if you can kind of recognize, he kind of almost summarizes the first three commandments that we covered so far. In verse 6, this is how God proclaims his own name and identifies himself. It says this, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, I am, I am a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands of generations, Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers, of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generations. We actually see several qualities of God come out through this description, his self-description. He's saying, I am the great Lord, the eternal one. I'm the one true God, the Lord, the Lord. And he's saying, I am gracious. I am merciful. That's the primary, overwhelming, that's the first thing of importance that God says. I am merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding, overflowing in steadfast love. But we also see that he is also just He is just. There will be consequences to those who are guilty of sin, who are guilty of transgressing God's good law. He says, I will not hold them guiltless. I will by no means just clear and let the guilty get away with it. And yet, I want to see both. God says both. 
He's not only a just judge. He definitely is. But he's also, at the same time, a merciful God. He says both. So the consequences then of our sin and God's judgment are almost kind of restrained. And they're overcome by his mercy and his graciousness. I want us to note here that you see this phrase, to the third and fourth generation. Especially in our day, that seems kind of unfair, doesn't it? It's like, wait a minute, why does... Why does the third and fourth generation have to be responsible for someone's sin? But it'll remind us that practically in that culture, back in that day, it was very common for multiple generations to live together under the same roof. So think about what three, four generations is. Great-grandparent, grandparent, parent, child. Three, four generations. It's actually pretty reasonable, and it was common practice for whole families, generations of families, to live together in the same household, same village, same kind of right in the same local area. So they would interact and see each other all the time. And so practically what this is meaning is God is saying, if, you, if you're dismissing God, if you violate God's law, if you, it says if, you're a hate, if you hate me, I will not hold you guiltless, and I will visit the sins of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation, to your household. He's saying, I'm going to hold your household accountable. And isn't that, if you think about it, a reality for us? We might not have, those kind of, we might not have the same kind of living arrangements, but that it is a reality even for us today. We all have different stories and backgrounds, and we can all probably say that we have many benefits from our household and our upbringing, from past generations of family who has invested and, and raised us. And at the same time, if we're honest, we can also claim and confess that we all struggle. We all struggle to some extent with sin in our families that got normalized and that got passed down from generation to generation. Struggling with sins even now, even today. We're all, we're all children of somebody, so we all struggle with this on the receiving end. And on the giving end. You know, as a parent, I notice for myself both good and bad in how I manage my household. There's some godly foundations that I'm grateful I grew up with that my own parents instilled in me. But at the same time, it's mixed in with really unhealthy and sinful patterns that I still struggle with. That even when I don't want to, I pass on to my own children. 
I'm painfully aware, <coughs> like many of us maybe, that I'll need to keep on unlearning some things. And then learning different patterns and different ways and how I could disciple my children in righteousness and walk in righteousness myself. In other words, what God is revealing here is he is aware that our sin in this life, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. God sees the real pain, the real suffering, the sin, in our households. The good news is this, that his steadfast love is abounding love and his faithfulness extends to thousands of generations. His love, his forgiveness, his grace, and his righteous ways extend farther beyond. Thank you. Much farther beyond. Even the painful realities of sin that we currently live with. That is who God is. He is a God full of grace. He sees us for what we really are in our real life struggle. And yet the hope is that his love extends to thousands of generations. This is how God reveals himself. Remember the context. Like moments before God proclaims his name and he speaks this about himself. Moses has just dealt with a whole nation of people who are sinning against the Lord and breaking his commands of idolatry. In some way, God had every right in his justice to say, I'm done with these people. After all I've done to rescue this people, they turn their backs on me. And yet God, the first words out of his mouth is, the Lord, the Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious. That's who I am. I see what just happened. And yet, there's still hope. There's still hope for you. Because God is committed to his covenantal love and promise to his people. That's good news for us. That means even in our families, even in our lives and the struggles that we have, in our households, when we consider the painful impacts of these generational patterns. There's still hope. God is with us. God is with you. He's transforming that so that when we bear his name, Now, the uncomfortable reality of our sinfulness is that even as a people experience God's grace, they were still tempted to keep on returning back to what they were accustomed to, taking God's name in vain. And when we say vain, vain just means empty, worthless, meaningless. 
And how, how God's people throughout Scripture did that was in three main ways. One was through sorcery. They used God's name like in a magical formula to kind of manipulate things. They use it in magic. Second was false prophecies, which is God said so-and-so, when really God did not say that. And that happened many times. Or swearing oaths, meaning I swear this in God's name. I'm not going to take responsibility for it. I'm not going to put my reputation on the line. I'm just going to put God's name on the line. And these are the, the main ways that we see in Scripture God's name was taken in vain. And so this uncomfortable reality can be true of us even today. Even if we don't do magic per se or swear many oaths or we don't do false prophecies, it still can be true. So how might we misuse God's name even today? Jesus, later on, he repeats what Isaiah says. And in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandment of men. And that kind of summarizes how we might struggle with this even today. That it's possible that we can speak the name of God. But it's kind of empty of meaning. How? Because our hearts are far from worshiping God. We throw, away, we throw around God's name carelessly. Our hearts might be empty of love and admiration and reverence for God. Sometimes we think we can manipulate and use God's name for our own agenda by replacing his commands with our own opinion. We see this kind of egregiously on a big grand stage in politics, right? Which political party is God's true party? None. (laughs) Not really. But how many times have we seen that claim? Sometimes, maybe without knowing sometimes, we, often, we might pray in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I want that. And it's almost like making God into a wish granter. Is that because I said and I prayed in, in a formulaic way, I expect God, I insist and I demand that God answer the way I want. And that's taking God's name in vain. We may... We might make little of God's name when we don't give him much thought by neglecting him or ignoring him. And in Christ, we all bear his name. We take his name, not just in speech, but we bear his name. Imagine if you ever worn like a uniform of some sort, a uniform with some other brand or logo of a company that you might work for. As long as you're wearing that uniform, you no longer represent yourself, right? You represent everything you say and do while in uniform reflects the reputation of whatever company. And in the same way, we bear God's image and name. It's just kind of this invisible uniform that we wear. And in that way, even our speech, our conduct can misrepresent God. And in that way, we could be guilty of breaking the third commandment. 
You know, there are some folks today, uh, for example, Orthodox Jewish communities, who have put in the practice because they said, we're not going to break this third commandment at all. We're just not going to say God's name, period. We're just not going to say it. Because if you don't say God's name, you can't misuse God's name. And that seems a safe way out. However, in Scripture, we see thousands of times, something like 7,000 times, God's name is used. God wants us to use his name. We see in Scripture that he invites us to call upon his name. So instead of misusing God's name, how then can we honor God's name? How can we call on God's name that is full of the meaning that God intends, full of the God, good character of God? We actually look to Moses' example and how he responds to when God declares his name. Look at him in verse 8 in the same chapter in Exodus 34. Moses responds first in humble worship. When he hears God's name proclaimed by God, his first reaction is, it says, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. He honored God. He fulfilled the first and second commandments right there. God, you are the true God. I don't know about the mess that I just saw with the golden calf, but Lord God, you're it. I worship you. And then Moses calls upon the name of the Lord. And this is how he does it in verse 9. Moses said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, which means we're a stubborn people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin. Take us for your inheritance. Do you see what Moses did there? He just reflected back to God what God said to him just a moment before. Moses acknowledges, yes, God, you are the God. You are the great I am. And you are merciful and gracious. So Moses says, what you just said about yourself, I am going to lean into that. So if now I have found favor in your sight, O oh God, if you would just be merciful and gracious, Please let the Lord go in the midst of us. Be steadfast in your love with us. Be with us. Go with us. Call us your own. Because you know we're a stiff-necked people. You know that we're full of sin. And pardon us. Forgive us. Because you're forgiving. Take us for your inheritance as your own. Be committed to your covenant that you made with us. So Moses is just repeating back what, what God had just told him. We can learn from Moses' example. In humility, we can acknowledge that God is the one holy God who is gracious and mighty to save. We can confess our need for forgiveness and salvation. And instead of trying to make God do something that we want, we're just counting on God's faithful and loving nature to forgive us, to be with us, and to empower us to bear his name in the way he calls us. 
Here's some more examples and just kind of some practical ways that we can then honor God's name. How can we honor God's name? The Psalms, the book of Psalms, they're a great way to learn how to honor God's name. It's full of songs and honoring and blessing God's name. I'll just give us one example. Psalm 72 says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. When he says something like that, it really magnifies, uplifts, and exalts God. He, it makes God big. Another way in Proverbs 8.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Meaning one way we can honor God's name is we take refuge in him. Are you in trouble? Take refuge in the Lord. Run to him as if he is a strong tower. Maybe there's nowhere else and nobody else to turn to. The Lord is your refuge. You trust in the name of God, that he will bring us into his light. Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God, says Isaiah. We can fear the awesome name of God by obeying him. In Deuteronomy, Moses, much later, he, he teaches again, he says, be careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. So obedience to what God says and honoring God are tied in. We obey God's word. We trust him at his word. We don't try to twist it according to our liking or pick and choose, but we say, God, we're just going to take you at your word. We can call upon God's name. Confessing our sin and our neediness to him. Depending on God's forgiveness. God, I sinned again, but Lord, as the psalmist says in Psalm 25, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Meaning, God, because this is who you are, you are a forgiving God. For your name's sake, for your honor, and as you are the forgiving, merciful, gracious God, pardon my guilt. I'm, that's why I can count on you. That's why we can turn to God in our sin. And we call upon God's name for our salvation, that we can give praise to him. It says in Psalm 106, he saved, God saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power, that God would be glorified in our lives. There's a very common way that we as Christians bear God's name. You know, when Christians undergo the waters of baptism, think about that. It's a naming ceremony, isn't it? When you undergo baptism, if you believe in Jesus Christ, we acknowledge that we worship God alone, not just any God, not just the universe, not just some higher power, but God, Yahweh, the great I am. 
a God who is merciful and gracious, forgiving his people's sins, who sent his son Jesus and is now present with us by sending us his spirit. In my faith in Jesus, we now belong, body and soul, to God, who is our hope forever in life and death. And so as Jesus commanded his disciples and commissioned them, when we're baptized, you'll notice that in, no matter what tradition we come in, is we baptize you in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We take on God's name and say, I now belong to God, and I am acknowledging that. I confess this about the Lord. In baptism, then, we are renamed and claimed by God. And specifically, as a Christian, we bear the name of Jesus. So maybe for some of us, a very practical next step of faith and obedience and following him may be getting baptized. There are many ways we can honor God's name instead of taking it in vain. And finally, we look to Jesus. How did Jesus perfectly fulfill this third commandment? We see that Jesus bears the name of God. He claims the name of God for himself, equating himself with God. He does this several times with the Gospels. I'll just read one example. In John 8, 58, Jesus is having a discussion, kind of like a debate with these religious scholars. <clears throat> and Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Do you see that I am? It says, we were talking about Abraham, we're talking about the law, and they're having this like, kind of legal debate and conversation, and Jesus just straight up says, I am. And they knew exactly what he was saying and talking about, because in that moment it says, later on, it's like, they picked up stones to kill him and stone him. So you just broke the third commandment. You just claimed God's holy name. You can't do that. Jesus didn't say, I'm just a prophet. I speak in God's name. I'm just a teacher. I just teach about God. I'm just a messenger. No, he said, I am. He just claimed God's name for himself. No one can do that. And so Jesus says, I am. In fact, that's what pushed these religious leaders over the edge. And they said, because you blasphemed, because you claimed something that no man can claim for himself, that you are God, we're going to execute you. Jesus even taught us a different way to call out God's name as Father. Remember how Jesus taught us to pray? As our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus perfectly honored God's name, and he showed us how to honor God's name. And more than any other place and any other time and more than any other person in Scripture, God called or Jesus called God's name Father when he prayed. Father. And that was a very uncommon thing to think or even say about God. But God taught us, even in his prayers, that just as, just as Jesus and the Father were one, that closely united, one. Jesus, do you remember that prayer that Jesus prayed on behalf of anyone who would follow him and believe in him? God, may you, may you and all these other believers be one, just as, I, just as you and I are one. 
that closeness, that intimacy that we see. Now we can claim in Jesus' name. And lastly, Jesus bore the name of God perfectly as the Savior. See, we have, in some way, we may have dishonored God's name, taking God's name in vain. We're not guiltless before God's righteous judgment, and yet God's justice was perfectly satisfied at the cross when Jesus was shamed and dishonored and died in our place. And it's at the cross where God revealed his steadfast love and mercy, gracious to forgive us. And so that's why as Jesus' disciples witnessed his death, resurrection, and ascension into heaven, they believed in Jesus' name. They preached in Jesus' name, that indeed Jesus was God in the flesh, who conquered death, overcame evil, that all who would turn from our sinful ways would find forgiveness as we look to Jesus. And they preached, they said in Acts, there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the God who saves. So church, call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of Jesus that you may be saved. Honor God's name by trusting him and obeying his word. Know that you are now empowered to live holy lives, bearing the name of Jesus to the praise of his glorious name. As Apostle Paul wrote, perhaps this sums it up for us in Colossians, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name receive all the honor. May your way, way and word and will be done. You, Lord, are a God who is perfectly just towards sin. And yet, you're also a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Forgive us for taking your name in vain. We who have turned from our sinful ways and have faith and life in Jesus' name are now called your own. Help us now. Help us and our households bear your holy name as you conform us into your good image. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.